Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business here at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education, MSCHE annual 2023 conference or annual conference 2023 might be a better way to say it and make more sense. I've done a few of these today, so words are just spilling out now, not necessarily in order. My name is Joe Salustio, of course, and I realize that this is the first time I've said who I am. Um, I've... <laughs> Uh, for these episodes, I'm hoping that my audience figured has figured that out. One person's voice who you will hear that you don't necessarily know, but if you've not heard of her before and you've heard her now, um, you will know exactly who she is because it's this very high-pitched, um, uh, uh, just eloquent-sounding, beautiful voice. It really is. Ladies and gentlemen, Deborah Solmore. She is the host of Ed Up Legal. What's up? Not too much. See, look at that. It comes high up. pitch. No, no, the eloquent was, and beautiful. Yes, yes, I would agree. Eloquent and beautiful. Yeah, everything's and going full of data and lawyer information. Lawyer speak. Everything's going great. I'm having a great day with you, Joe. It's really been fun. Although I will note that my writer asked for a bowl of Reese's Pieces on my console, and I don't see them. If there were so. Reese's Pieces on this console, they would have been eaten long before you got here. And they'd be making noise every time you picked them up. By the way, I said high-pitched. That was the part of my intro that was not true. Uh, and I <laughs> and for everybody that knows Deborah, which I've met her just for the first time in person, when she walked into this large room, she started talking to me from way across the other side. And I was like, I heard Joe, so you made it, and I and I'm looking around, going, "There's nobody around my table." And then, like across the room, there's Deborah walking towards me. So it was like you're having a conversation with me, and I had no idea. Yes, except this room is enormous, and there was no one in it at the time, so right. the sound just carried. But but I get the point. Get yes, the point. my voice carries. It's not high pitched, but no. it is eloquent and beautiful. I it hope. is. It is so much information coming out of you uh, today as you helped enhance uh, these conversations about higher education that we've had. I think this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I might take a back seat when you two started, you guys were going yesterday and I was like, you gotta get this on a podcast episode. I was not, I wasn't, um, fully engaging in your conversation because I, I was like, wow, this is very technical. And my brain was like, Oh, what color should I color my, my painting with here? You know, I was kind of like on the outside of the conversation, but so today, we, were, gonna, we were over your head. Is that what you're trying well, to say? Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say that. Please don't hit my buttons for me, Deborah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I have not been allowed is. to touch any of those buttons. Here he is. He is Dr. Joseph Levy. He is the associate vice provost of accreditation and quality improvement. Let me say that one more time. The associate vice president for of education and quality improvement. Holy crap! That's a long title, Joe. <laughs> well, thank you. Welcome to the microphone. Happy to be here. Joe, what's going on, man? How are you? How are things? Things are good. Things are busy. Um, oh, yeah. You're at Excelsior University. I left that part out after I said your title three times. Excelsior, Excelsior University. University. In Albany. Based Albany, in Albany, New York. York. Yeah. Uh, and I'm physically located in Chicago, Illinois. I grew up in New York. I'm physically located in Chicago, too. So that's great. See, look at this connection. Look at connections. And we share the same first name. I mean, and you guys didn't even know each other, did you? We did not. No. And my daughter got her master's at the unit institution that you were at before Excelsior. National Lewis University. That's great. Wow. Look at that. Look at all this happening. And of course, Lori Williams, who you work with, who's the chief of staff, if I'm not mistaken, Correct. for the president of Excelsior University, used to be the um, president and CEO at NC Sarah. And I interviewed her on the podcast a long time ago, a long time ago. And I saw her for the first time and she was great. 
Yeah, no, we, uh, we we had been hoping to sit down together for to tag team the interview, but she had to catch her flight. So. Well, you know what? You got to get your flight. So tell us about Excelsior University. For those that don't know Excelsior, tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it. Yeah, Excelsior is a pretty unique story. They actually started as a credit aggregator in the state of New York. The state of New York uh, Board of Higher Ed said, you know what? We want to try and help people finish who have some degree or some college no degree. And so the state system said, direct all of your students here and we'll try and use exams or we'll, tr we'll try and provide the, the necessary courses to help make you whole and, and finish. As you can imagine, that's a large undertaking, yeah. especially for many degrees and, and institutions. So over time, it shifted, it well, quickly shifted out of that office and into Regents College. And then it went from Regents College to Excelsior College uh, because we realized you know, in addition to helping people finish, people could also start with us too. Yeah. Uh, and so we started offering our own degree programs. And then uh, just this past year, we graduated up to Excelsior University. And so now we're really excited. We have our College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and our College of Nursing and Health Sciences. And we're excited to be offering degrees from the associate's level up to the master's level. And hopefully soon at the doctoral level now that we have that university status. Joe, a little uh, not a well-known fact about you, which um, we we uh, you and I came to know each other through a third uh, through a colleague named Joe Linhart, who I remember another why Joe. He, yeah, another Joe. It, it was a great conversation with the three of us. Like, hey, Joe, how are you? And we both answered, great. Joe, how are you? And then the other two would answer, great. Um, uh, but uh, I can't remember why he introduced me to you, but there was some reason, and. Um, I found out quickly after we had been talking that you've been deep in the accreditation biz for a long time. In fact, when I, at my role at Lindenwood University, I um, was tasked with starting Lindenwood Global, which was going to be our online offering. And I did a bunch of research with the Higher Learning Commission where you uh, were dealing with National uh, Lewis University for a while. And I found this document. It was like the HLC innovation document. Innovation zone. Innovation zone. And I'm like, who are the who are these people writing this thing? Because I got a lot of questions. And who do I see his name on that list? Joe Levy. And Small I went, world. wait a second. So then I called you for a bunch of advice. And I'm like, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? And you're like, yeah, you do whatever the hell you want. No, you didn't say that. <laughs> uh, he, he never said it. But uh, now you move to an institution with middle states. Mm -hmm. Are you transitioning that knowledge? Are you getting back involved now with a new accreditor and, and kind of similarities, differences? Like, what do you... Yeah, it's been really interesting. I was really excited to come to the conference uh, since this is my first Middle States conference. And I've been working with Middle States. I've previously, from a consulting perspective, helped institutions that were doing accreditation or they needed to gear up their assessment efforts for, for accreditation reports. But now overseeing and being the ALO specifically for uh, Middle States, a Middle States institution, learning a lot. I mean, across all accreditors, there's certainly similarities. Accreditation. <laughs> there's certainly similarities in in common core themes it's it's really just a matter of which standards belong to what as well as differences in leniency and, and specificity around certain things and one thing that um I'm, I'm trying to unlearn are you know the the memorization i have of hlc standards and policies and trying to apply that here although it still is serving me well in terms of being able to think of well that was a very important important component that was often overlooked. So I want to find out where that's couched here and and make sure people aren't overlooking or missing that here. Is it like a puzzle? Is this like a puzzle you have to put together of what goes where and how this relates to that 
you know, I think mo most people outside who, who aren't studying accreditation just think it's this pages and pages of these rules I have to follow and there's no movement and, you know, I just got to be a rule follower and don't put me in a box, Joe. Well, don't the, do that to me. The good news, and, and this is how I approach accreditation, is if you're doing good work with, with students at the center and students' best interests in mind and you keep good documentation, you're going to take care of 90% of any accreditation or regulation component. Um, so I try and preach that first and foremost, and then remind people, and yes, you know, having our bylaws helps with this and having this helps answer that standard or evidence that piece. But I think the, the other thing to think about with accreditation, especially middle states where they can be a big ally is with all the department of ed regulations going on, because there's only so much of a voice an individual, an educator or an institution can have. And so it's really helpful given all the changes going on with the Department of Ed to try and leverage and, and use the voice of the, the institutional creditor to help um, voice concerns, um, celebrate things, endorse things, but also help break down some of the legalese. <laughs> some of yeah, I don't the have anybody that here, are coming. I don't have anybody here that would be interested somebody, at all right. in the DOE or regulations. <laughs> Is there anybody in this conference room here interested in the DOE or higher ed regulation? Okay. Hey, Deborah, how are you? I'm good, Joe and Joe. Um, it's interesting what you said before about, you know, each accreditor is is individual in its own way. And it's interesting that you there are so many accreditors out there, but let's let's stay focused for here on the ones we used to call regional accreditors, which yeah. the department says we shouldn't call them regional accreditors anymore. Ah! It's a lot of confusion. Wow. Wow, 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 Joe. Um, Too much coffee. Yes. Um, but it's interesting because you know, I, I too am familiar with multiple of the accreditors' standards and, and how they review, and, and it's different. I mean, it's just different. And for me as a lawyer, I always say, which I think most people in higher education smile and they're very happy about, accreditation is an academic endeavor. It's not a legal one. That doesn't mean I haven't supported where issues have come up, but learning how the accreditors see the standards and how the school's ALOs see the standards is really helpful for me to do my job, right? Because it's just... It, it's it's the same language, but it's a different language. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say, I always say, you're not the only one cursed with knowledge. That's what I thought you were going to say. I, I think it's interesting, Joe, that, you know, the way in which you respond to my comments is with sound bites <laughs> instead of verbal bites. But that's okay. It's all no good. to hear me talk. Go ahead. It's all good, Joe. It's all good. Um, you got to stay on your game. I get to take I, you off your game. I, you do. You do. Um, I was fortunate enough. Um, the institutions that I, I used to support were WASC accredited. And so I um, tried to get involved in being, I wanted to be a WASC site reviewer because yeah. I really wanted to understand how accreditation works. And so I did my first site review. Wow, they're a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and now I'm on my second site team. And it's just, it, it's fascinating to get to see the institution from that perspective. Yeah. When I was asked why I wanted to do it, I said, I just want to learn, right? Continuous. I'm a nerd. I admit it. I'm a nerd. Well, I would say going back to your question about it being a puzzle, it's also uh, imagine a puzzle that you're putting together that just as you're getting the final piece put in, there are pieces around the edges that are coming apart and moving because what we can't do is just rely on uh, going through our, our mid-year review or our mid-cycle review or even our 10-year reaffirmation for, because I've, I've worked at many institutions, I've been at many institutions who 
will get a clean bill of health from their creditor. No recommendations. And yet, if you didn't know that and you really you arrived there and you dug into what was going on, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, we have so much work to do. Hmm. There are so many things behind uh, common practice that, that we aren't keeping pace with our peers that also isn't best serving the student. So then you have to wonder, well, why didn't this get called out? But that's not um, that's not to discredit the peer evaluators because they have a really hard job of a very short amount of time, a lot of documents to look at, a lot of information to sift through to, to make determination on is this institution living up to these standards? But the institution always needs to hold itself to a higher standard of not just what these outside entities, but are we living up to our commitments to students and what we should be doing for them. Um, so that's why I say that even when you feel like you have the work done, it's ongoing work. It's work you always have to keep doing because if you are, again, thinking about good practice and thinking of being responsive to student needs, our student needs are changing all the time. And so just as you finish meeting the needs of the current generation or the current student, well, now there's a new generation. Now, well, yeah. No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to go on your, your student needs and ask you, what, what do you see in the hierarchy of needs right now? What are you focused on right now? You know, one of the things that I think higher ed can benefit from in all facets is being more human, uh, given the fact that the majority of students today, the majority of college takers, credit earners are working adults. It's now a time more than ever to say, well, put yourselves in their shoes. Tell them like it is. <laughs> I mean, I think especially about things like surveys, uh, learning outcomes and things that are important to accreditors, important to data collection that maybe our students may not care about. I say, well, how would you feel, right? How do you feel when you get an email that says, we value your feedback, right? How do you feel when you see a document with a bunch of standards on it? Do you immediately dive in or are you waiting for somebody else to chime in and explain it to you. Otherwise you assume this probably doesn't pertain to me. Right. So I say, well, our students are the same. If we're not stopping to explain and unpack what's in the syllabus beyond this is what's required when, how are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to value those things? And, and so examples like that, where if we just treat students as fellow humans and have that empathy, We'll better understand their needs. We'll better understand flexibility for for deadlines, for timelines. We'll better understand their needs, whether it's in person, online, um, needing to fluctuate between both, uh, as well as trying to make sure that we're providing information in multiple modalities and multiple mechanisms. It's not enough to just say, oh, it's on our website, right? That's passive. And maybe that's good for some people, but we also need the active and the dynamic uh, engagement as well and and trying to do all that at once. And that's a lot. And but but. We need to at least try uh, if we're going to try and reach all students. What's really interesting about <clears throat> assessment, accreditation, uh, law is you take into context the way a higher ed institution needs to operate today. You talk about students and flexibility and being dynamic and agility. Their demands are faster. And so the institution has to then decide if it can move as fast as the student moves. Mm -hmm. Yet there is a part of what we do in higher ed that doesn't move as fast as I think the consumer, the student would like it to. They probably don't understand. So that's, but if, you, if you're selling a product on Amazon and you want to sell it faster, you just sell it faster. Right. You don't have to worry about these other things. Is there a balance to be maintained? This can almost be a question for you too, Deborah, to being the 
naysayer slash slow mover versus the, hey, we want to make sure the institution is positioned right. Like there's a, there's a approach that you must maintain to, there's a fine line, right? Like that you walk between being the, well, did anybody consider accreditation or legal in this one versus how can we help with accreditation and legal get to the point we want to get to as an institution? Because some folks will look at it negatively. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things is that, and and accreditors, you know, Deborah, to your point, different accreditors are doing different things, so the style can look different. But the one thing I appreciate in the accreditation space is they're recognizing that we need to create these different pathways, right? Mm. Like if an institution is in good standing and has no demerits or no concerns, then we should give them a bit more leeway to pilot and innovate and do things that are attempting to keep up with the market, right? right? The reality is the typical processes to get a new um, program approved, a new location, a new modality, a new um, type of credential, it takes months. And to your point about Amazon and product, I mean, people want, people want those now. Employers want that now. Employers that have this need to upskill their their people or to uh, try and find new pathways for them to, to advance in their careers need solutions now. And so when they go to higher ed and higher ed says, we can do that for you. Three it's going to take two years. <laughs> in the, or, or even even in the fast, like nine months. Like, well, you know, that's too slow. Yeah, we already I sold think, to 100,000 consumers in nine months. Right. So I think that, that and I, Joe and I originally met because Joe was going to be on a panel that I was moderating. And we talked about um, higher education as a business. Right? That was one of the topics that we talked about. And so, you know, the Amazon example is a really good one. For me, I find that at least in the accreditation space, it was once explained to me as accreditation is the what, not necessarily the how. Mm -hmm. And so you have, I think, a lot more leeway as an institution when you're talking about accreditation issues about how do you comply with the standards? How do you get there? And there might not be one right answer among accreditors. There might not be one right answer among institutions. Where when you look at the legal, particularly the Department of Education, those are the what and the how, and they're much they're much more rigid. And I, I just did two podcast episodes on my Ed Up Legal about the new um, DOE suite of regulations that came out in October that go into effect in July. And when you have this conversation about we need to innovate, we need to move, we need to be constantly thinking of things to do, my head is spinning saying, yes, but do you know how many things you need to start doing right now if you're going to be ready to be in compliance right. with these regulations? Yeah. And Title IX is just around the corner. We don't know when it's coming, but yep. soon. And there's just so much, there's so much that slows, that slows it down. You're exactly right. And you can't just say, right now I need to innovate, and next week I'll think about the compliance with all of these regulations and standards. Yeah. Well, and, and going back, tying an earlier question to this one. Well, it's you, spoken you, like an accreditation guru. <laughs> you ask about meeting student needs and what are student needs. I, I would did say ask about that. which students. Yes. So if you're talking about future students, mm. then that's where the innovation, that's where the new product, that's where the, the thinking for the future comes in. But what about our current students? And that speaks to what you just said of, there's so many things we need to do right now almost deferred maintenance that we need to fill in the cracks. We need to smooth out to help our students now. Because yeah, if the business is broken, the ones coming in, they're going to exactly. experience a bad product. Exactly. I would also add, I would also add your past students, right? Yeah. I mean, built, keeping your alumni community strong, 
you know, that's a very big pathway for mm -hmm. students who are graduating. And you know, there are some institutions out there that I hear, I can think of one off the top of my head, repeatedly hear people talk about their alumni base and how strong they are. And they will always hire someone and help out another person who graduated from X. And I think you've got all of these different constituencies and then you got to worry about your faculty and your yeah. staff and are they happy? I remember last spring there was an article every day in Inside Higher Ed about people are leaving, you know, fleeing higher education. In it's droves. fuzzy math. It is fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy. <laughs> Joe, have you ever heard the this this one? Deborah, you might have heard this one too. Hey guys, we got to get get going. We need more enrollment. Got to pilot this new thing. We're going to do this. We're going to move fast. And somebody goes, "I'm sorry, accreditation." Yeah, I'm sorry, accreditation. State, you, you can't state, do, you can't state regulatory agency. How do you balance that? in your role well and so that's what i was alluding to before is that in <laughs> in some good ways accreditors are creating more paths for the almost assurance on the way as opposed to because what i will say that a, a good and bad thing to accreditation is it's so front-loaded right if you want to pilot some new program or right now like prison education is a huge thing because right. they've un, uh, unleashed some new funding for it so people want to get in there. So there's all this reporting and, and documentation and due diligence you have to do upfront to get launched. Once you launch, you're on your own. You're on prove, your own. You got to right? prove, prove the model. And, right? and then, and then it's just, a, because again, they're an institutional accreditor. So they're looking at the whole institution. They don't have, they don't have the bandwidth to follow up specifically on that one program, that one initiative, but everything's so front loaded. But if you flip that, to again, thinking of institutions that are in good standing, that have, you know, demonstrated capacity to try new things, let that remove the front end barrier, let them try, but then tack on like, well, we need these annual reports, right? right? Or we need this assurance along the way that this pilot is working, that you're looking at the data, that you're doing all the things we assume you are, and that the standards would expect of you and good practice would expect. And then as long as you're meeting those, you can go a long way. And so it removes that front end barrier, allows you to innovate and move faster, but there's still the quality assurance. But that then is still only for, for where it exists, isolated to those colleges in good standing. And a lot of the colleges that are really trying to experiment maybe aren't in good standing. Right. They're in financial trouble. And so they really need to throw a Hail Mary here, but they don't have that time and space to do it. And I think that's a, it's a tough balance um to, to your point about um institutions that have had financial struggles and may not be in good standing you know a series particularly here on the east coast um a series of you know high profile collapses have put the accreditors on i don't want to say on the defense in a negative way but have sort of put a spotlight on the accreditors that might not have been there before and you know there are people that say right they should be doing more. They're not watching enough. They're not. And there are others that are saying, well, what do you mean? How much can they watch? Right. right? How? Yeah, it's not good for an accreditor to have a school close. Right. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Who wants that? Nobody wants yeah. it. The school it's doesn't like, want yeah. it. Students don't want it. The accreditor doesn't want it. Nobody and what's wants. interesting from the vantage point that I sat in my last role as the GC of a nonprofit system that was always trying to grow is what the accreditors end up doing is they end up looking at the new transactions that are coming across their desk. This one wants to merge, that one wants to affiliate, this one wants to acquire, as opposed to maybe looking at the institution's 
in their portfolio because they're not on cycle or it's not off cycle. And so maybe the ones that you should be looking at are not getting looked at because you're looking at the transactions that are coming across your desk that are forcing you to look yeah. at it because somebody wants to do something strategic. There was a radical article that came out and I can, uh, I, I know exactly because I shared it with some people. So I know exactly where it is. I, I apologize. I don't remember the name or the author, but it was somebody who was really talking about things to shake up accreditation. And one of the things they proposed that a lot of people balked at, but that I'm a huge fan of and wish it would be this way, is they said accreditation visits and reports, like that process, should really be something that you're not given a huge leeway. Like you're given maybe a week's notice. Because let's be honest, if, if the institution is truly doing the things that they say they're doing, you know, it doesn't matter and how much truly adhering to all the standards, then a week or so should be plenty of time to set to reserve rooms, make sure people are available for meetings and be ready to pull evidence right. for a review. That's interesting because I'll give a corollary to that, which I was thinking before and I was going to say before. Did you say a corollary to that? I said a corollary. Oh. That's what a lot of people uh, would think would happen with, yeah. with a week's notice, I think. Is when you were talking before about where the accreditor doesn't find something, but you can see under the hood there are things. Part of that is the narrative, right? So the institution mm -hmm. writes the narrative. It's in somewhat akin to, to trustee meetings and board of director meetings. The narrative that they're given at the meeting is prepared by the management that mm -hmm. tells them what they want to tell them. And so I think that's another, that's another wrinkle in the whole accreditation process is that the institution is telling the story they want to tell. And depending on how much the site team digs in or how much the review team who's on the review team and what are their areas of expertise, do they know where to look and what to look for? And and that will always be a flawed process. Mm -hmm. it, it just can't help but be flawed. Well, and I think that's uh, a trend I'm seeing at institutions is they're focusing more on being good at accreditation as opposed to being a good institution. Mm. Wow. that's Soak a, up that baby for a minute. That's prophetic. And so they Not will... Prophetic. Wax poetic. <laughs> Wax is what you poetic. Meant. They will invest. They will hire consultants. They will hire people leading up to the cycle. for. They'll do mock visits. They'll do mock visits. Mm -hmm. They'll do all of these things to make themselves look as good as possible. To your point, to craft this leading narrative, to paint this picture so that when the people come on site and ask questions, they already have in their head like the story that was told to them. They'll, they'll do prep. They'll, they'll give out fact sheets, right? Talking points. They will go through all that work, but then they won't take meeting minutes or mm. they won't follow up on the report to see if the action items were actually done. Like it's misplaced energy for short-term gains. I mean, in their head, it's a long-term gain because if they get, get good accreditation, it's 10, that's eight, 10, 10 years. years. Eight, yeah, right. But if you instill those good practices of taking minutes, following up of action items being done and, you know, using data, that's going to pay off in dividends. So every once Everywhere. in a while, I think you meet people and you think to yourself, they're doing what they should be doing. They're in the right role. And you are absolutely no, doing totally. what you should be doing and in the right role. I mean, your, your, your approach, your attitude, your thoughts, they're just really refreshing. I mean, Thank you. You know, you see the process for what it is and you're looking in all the right places. I've been so waiting this, for, this for a full day very... to get a compliment from Deborah. She gave one to you or straight away on this podcast. Ladies Joe, and gentlemen, I we're... said earlier that I was learning so much from you. I know you did. Um, Joe, this has been incredible. Thank you for your insight. Um, I'm hoping you're having a good conference. You having a good conference? Yeah, it's going great. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're, I'm really happy to have met you in person. 
get you on the podcast because we've been talking about this for a while. A twofer. Is that two, right? Three first since I met Deborah. Yeah, yes. can't, can't get anybody that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you know Deborah Solmore. She's the host of Ed Up Legal. And my guest, no, he is your guest today. He's got the longest title in the history of the world, but I'm going to try to get it out. He's Dr. Joe Levy. He is the Associate Vice Provost of Accreditation and Quality Improvement at Excelsior University. Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. <laughs> 